This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Christine Ross, in for Libby Snymer. Ageism is alive and well in the workplace, and the target is mostly older women. Companies are still ignoring this demographic, and it's hurting their bottom line. We'll explore the reasons behind it and how to change course. And want to be happier? Researchers say the secret is to focus on time, not money. And it turns out the happiest Canadians are over 55. We'll review the findings of a new national survey. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Is texting causing us to grow horns? Disturbing new evidence shows cell phones not only change the way we live, they could actually be changing our bodies. A new study shows that as a result of us shifting our posture to look at our phones in the repetitive hunched-over position, it could be linked to the development of a small bone spur at the base of the skull that's typically seen in seniors. Australian researchers looked at hundreds of x-rays and found almost half of those between 18 and 30 who spend four hours on their phones a day develop this growth, and it's got a name, text neck, and it can lead to headaches and pain. On the eve of Canada's 152nd birthday, it seems many don't know our history. Almost 70% of people who took an online 30-question quiz failed. People did poorly on questions related to science and innovation, with most not knowing that Canadians invented the world's first Internet archive and the popular Jolly Jumper baby exerciser. But the CEO of Historica Canada says the results of this latest poll shouldn't be seen as a sign that Canadians are ignorant about our history. Anthony Wilson admits this year's questions were nasty. Try your luck. Take the poll on the Historica Canada website. about a little cannabis-infused drink to ring in the new year? A weed tonic, perhaps? One of Canada's leading cannabis companies hopes to have cannabis-infused beverages and edibles on the market just in time for Christmas. Canopy Growth, which has partnered with the Zoomer advocacy group CARP, is currently in discussions with provinces and will determine which markets are a priority. Canopy founder Bruce Linton delivered the news at the recent Moses Nimer's Idea City. Older Americans are jumping on the plastic surgery bandwagon. 66% of all facelifts done last year were on patients 55 and up. And doctors also report an increase in those getting the minimally invasive procedures like Botox, chemical peels, and fillers. And older men represent the largest group getting hair transplants. The American Society of Plastic Surgeons reports a 2% uptick overall for cosmetic surgeries by those over 55. Even small amounts of exercise may prevent deadly bleeds of the brain. New research finds as little as 30 minutes of light exercise a week may reduce your risk of a potentially fatal bleed of the brain. 
Researchers at the University of Helsinki discovered only half an hour of walking, cycling, or other light exercise reduced the risk of bursting blood vessels by 5%. It rose to 20% for those who exercised two hours a week. The changes were most significant in smokers and in people with high blood pressure. Romance novelist Judith Krantz died this week at 91. Her best-selling novels that told racy tales of the rich made her wealthy. In an interview, she admitted she was nothing like the women in her books. I didn't have that kind of, of willingness to go all out after what I wanted that my heroines do, and I think I live vicariously through them because of that. She didn't write her first book until she was 50. She grew up with a keen interest in clothes and in her autobiography wrote, I'll probably feel slightly insecure as I breathe my last, still wondering if I'm wearing exactly the right thing. I'm Christine Ross in for Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Companies don't give ageism the same attention as other forms of bias, according to a Forbes Insights survey. And the numbers suggest that age discrimination is alive and well in the U.S., with two out of three employees over 45 witnessing age discrimination. Author and executive coach Bonnie Marcus is currently writing a book about women over 50 in the workplace. I reached her by phone. Older women find it extremely difficult after the age of 50 to get hired. Um, Not only that, women who are currently in the workplace at that age are often marginalized and dismissed. So it's a problem because when women are let go of their current positions, they can't find new positions. And it's an issue for women even in their mid-40s who fear what's going to happen as they show signs of aging. Listening to you now, it it seems that ageism is alive and well. It certainly is. And ageism is the most normalized form of prejudice. We have brought much more attention to racism, you know, even gender issues now. But ageism is something that's so normal that we're not even aware of it. But, but why, I think that, why is that, though? Um, I think our focus has been on some of the more obvious prejudices. At first in the workplace, it was race and, and then gender. Mm-hmm. And it's so common in our culture today to be ageist without even knowing it. So you say it's not really on people's radar like other forms of discrimination. It's there, but it seems to be quite insidious. You know, it wasn't until I started doing research for this book that I realized myself, I'm ageist. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I just didn't even realize it's just such a part of our culture and who we are. But if somebody came up to me and say, oh, wow, you look young for your age. I didn't realize that was ageist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, you know, I would accept that as a compliment and say, oh, wow. But what they really weren't saying is, you know, you look young for your age, and that's the stereotype of what that age, you know, represents as a boomer woman. So we just, it is so insidious to your point that we don't even recognize it. And how we get around it is certainly to begin to build awareness Um, And not only of our own ageism, but when we hear comments, et cetera, to remind people that that is a bias. 
You argue that it's hurting companies' bottom line by ignoring this large cohort of experienced women. How so? Well, women make something like 85% of consumer purchasing decisions or influence them. So they have a lot of uh, buying power, purchasing power, and influence. We are designing our products and services also for this age group without including women at the table. I remember when uh, advertising for automobiles was purely geared towards men. And along the line, there was a realization, well, you know what? Women are really making these decisions and influencing these decisions. And over time, you could see the ads changing. So I think it's it's helping companies design products and services to fit the larger demographic that includes older people and also understanding that women have hold the purse strings for a lot of the products and services that uh, companies are selling. What do you think it will look like for the next generation of women coming up, say the millennials? I would hope that increasing the awareness around this issue would begin to move companies towards including them in in their diversity and inclusion initiatives. Right now, it's just it's not on companies' radars at all. And only 8% of companies include age in their diversity and inclusion strategies. 8%? 8. That's shocking. It is shocking. There's some research that the World Health Organization is doing with uh, Cornell Medicine now about ageism as as an issue. And one thing that they've discovered is that increasing awareness, educating people really young, you know, starting really young about what the reality is of aging, and it's not all negative, increasing that awareness and also bringing different generations together. Those two things in combination um, have shown to be very successful in certain situations. So I think as we begin to become more aware about, of this, we need to include it in, in our initiatives going forward, that there will be change over time. Uh, we've seen that change with certainly with racial discrimination. Uh, we've seen that with sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. We've seen it around gender, although there's still a lot of work to do. But at least it's, it starts with understanding what the issue is and why it needs to change. That was author and executive coach Bonnie Marcus, who's currently writing a book about women over 50 in the workplace. Zoomers are the happiest, according to a new national poll. The Happiness Index by market research firm Leger asked Canadians across the country to rate their level of happiness on a scale of 1 to 10 and note which factors they believe influence their happiness the most. Those over 55 who earn a higher income are happiest, but it also indicates that money is not the factor to their happy state. I reached Leger Executive Vice President Dave Scholes. So even though the higher income tends to lead towards people identifying as being happier, 
our personal finances only drives about 8% of our happiness. So we, we looked at the demographics and how people netted out at being happiness. So that's how we got the first piece of data. But then we went behind it and we tried to look at exactly what is really driving that. So as I said, only about 8% of our happiness comes from personal finances. 45% of our happiness comes from having a current sense of freedom or living the life you've always dreamed of. It all comes down to, are you uh, content with what you have as opposed to missing out or feeling you're missing out on something coming up or looking over your shoulder and saying, oh, I should have done that differently. Is that something that always comes with age? I think it's something that we've seen consistently in our surveys uh, on happiness over time that uh, uh, generally when people are ha- have lived longer and experienced more, they tend to have a better perspective on how their life should be. But again, it isn't just the older population. There's a, there's a, a younger people uh, get this as well. You know, for, for example, 61% of Canadians aged 55 plus identify at the highest level of our happiness uh, score. But for anyone under that age, it's at 44%. So still a large percentage mm-hmm. of Canadians understand that. So millennials often get a bad rap, but it seems to me the ones I know Um, They may not be the happiest cohort, but they seem to have this knowledge that having more doesn't necessarily equate with happiness, but it's life experiences that bring joy. And, and I think millennials, to a large part, are what's driving some of this happiness trend that we're seeing. Happiness is certainly a discussion that we're hearing more and more. Mm-hmm. That's why at Leger, we created a website around measuring happiness. So if your listeners want to go, it's the legerhappinessindex.com. And we're also starting to see more employers talk to us about, instead of measuring my employee satisfaction or my employee engagement, I would like to know how happy my employees are. So there is a bit of a trend, and I do believe that started with millennials looking for this or demanding this to a certain degree. How do you go about tapping into employees to rate their happiness simply with surveys and so forth? And and with those results, then what are these employers planning to do? Change the culture? <laughs> well, and that's where it starts. So if you can understand that you have uh, certain groups with, and again, yes, true, your answer is correct. It is through surveys. Um, and if you can have a, uh, a sense of where your employees are at on happiness, and then you ask a few extra questions around what's important to you. And if you as an employer can start to shift some of the way you practice your business or the way you work with the people who work with you. Uh, And if it's possible to have a happier workforce, then everyone wins. Across the country, are there some variations in terms of how happy we are? There's slight variations. Uh, Let me start with overall, Canada is a very happy nation. Whenever you look at global surveys, Canada always ranks in the at least the top 10, if not higher, in terms of having the happiest people. Um, And in this study, we also looked at our U.S. uh, friends to the south, and we found that Canada ranked significantly higher than Americans overall on happiness. Uh, Across the country, Uh, As I said, not a lot of difference, but a little bit. Quebecers and those from the Atlantic province tend to be happier than, say, those in Ontario or Alberta, which would be at the lower end of our spectrum. With retirement changing, coming later in life, in fact, many Zoomers are working part-time to stay engaged. So when you say happier in retirement, are you referring to this new model of retirement? 
I, I think I'm referring more to living a full life, and even if you're still working, uh, the accepting that you've done that you're in a good place. When we look at our survey, I'm talking about those 55 plus. If I actually go to those 65 plus, mm-hmm. they're even happier. That, that segment of the population. So some of it has to do with retirement, but some of this, more of it has to do with a, a recognition that your life has, has been positive and uh, you are, as I said before, living, you've lived and are living the life you've dreamed of and you do have a sense of, of freedom around you. And some of that freedom comes from being able to be retired and not necessarily having to, to go to work or follow a, a rigid set of rules. Now, were you surprised by the findings? I, I was a little bit surprised by, uh, I, I think we often like to think that uh, money buys happiness. So, and when we first got the results and we saw that higher income uh, leads to a happier uh, a person, or not leads to, is, is correlated with a happier person, we, that kind of reinforced that. But then we did the extra analysis to look at the drivers. We were a little surprised to see the, uh, the low level of personal finance driving it. But then it makes more sense when it's all about, as you said, gratitude, contentment, uh, a sense of accomplishment, um, and finances can be correlated with that, but they don't have to be. Dave, thank you very much for this. It's been very insightful. I appreciate you spending time with us. Thank you very much. That was Dave Scholes, Executive Vice President with market research firm Leger. And that brings us to the end of this edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Christine Ross in for Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. Produced by Christine Ross, Michelle Saunders, Paul Thomas, Faz Kazi, and Justin Eacock. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.